Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. In my Bible, it spans several pages. Multiple pages that it spans. It's almost, in fact, if you open up to just the middle of your Bible, it's almost there. It's kind of interesting that it's kind of laid out that way. It is the a love poem about God's revelation, and it is so long that it could, or it is, longer than 31 books of the Bible. This one chapter, this one psalm, is longer than 31 books of the Bible. And when we look at it, it is a psalm of unbelievable depth and intrigue. I've got three quotes just about this particular psalm that I wanted to share with you before we kind of dive deeper into it. Um, The first one, Steve, you can go ahead and put that. We named it, You Light Up My Life. And the reason for that is because of Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. This psalm is a meditation on God's word. And so if you go... Uh, If you go to the next one, Steve, there it is. Alan Rawls says this about Psalm 119. It reveals how divine revelation is the basis for everything that the believer does, but it also shows how the word of the Lord is applied in all the circumstances of life. Another scholar says this about Psalm 119. This is a psalm not only of law, but also of love, not only of stature, but also of spiritual strength. Not only of devotion to precept, but also of loyalty to the way of the Lord. The beauty in this psalm resounds from the relationship of the psalmist and his God. One more quote about this psalm says this. This elaborate acrostic is a literary festival of prayer and praise held in honor of Yahweh's self-revelation to Israel. It's a remarkable psalm. It has 22 stanzas of eight verses each. Exactly eight verses each, 22 stanzas. And those 22 stanzas are an acrostic. Now, you know what an acrostic is? So it's, you know, like for Father's Day, my youngest, Ava, made me a card with Dad on it. And it was delightful, awesome, diligent. Right? That's good, right? It's up on my mantle right now. So that's, you know, you take a letter and you do that. Well, here's the crazy thing about this acrostic. It's the world's most complicated and fantastic acrostic because it takes the alphabet of the Hebrew people, the Hebrew alphabet. And so in my uh, translation of the Bible, not all do this. It has it separated by Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalap, Hey, I'm going to go through the whole Hebrew alphabet. But it starts with, in our alphabet, A, Aleph. B, B, and what it does is it does a eight verse section where every verse in that eight verse section starts with that letter. So it's eight verses that start with Aleph, eight verses that start with B, and it does that all the way through 22 stanzas. It is an acrostic to remember the things about the law of God. There is so much depth in it. You could preach multiple sermons on it. One preacher in the early 1600s preached 190 sermons on Psalm 119. 
They put them in a book and it was 1,677 pages long. And I thought this morning I would just read the book to you. We don't even know who wrote the psalm. There have been speculation. There are some that say because of the language, it looks like it's something that was written after the Israelites got back from exile in Babylon and that Ezra may have written it. There are others that say, no, the language and study all the stuff out there can determine that it's David that had written it. What's interesting, and there's one theory out there, this is a theory, this isn't proven anywhere, that David wrote it for his children as a way for them to learn the Hebrew alphabet and about the law of God. We're not going to read all 170 plus verses of this song. But I want you to read a few to give you a kind of a feel for it. I'd encourage you sometime this week to sit down and read it. Read it from beginning to end. I want to give you a few verses and then a summary of things about it. And then I just want to point out three things that it teaches us about God's Word. So if you look, we start towards kind of the beginning there. Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2 says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all their heart. It sounds almost like Psalm 1 that we talked about a few weeks ago that is a blessing psalm, a wisdom psalm. The next verses say this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Another couple of verses. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. As much as I treasure all my riches, I treasure your word. Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statues. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Let your faithful love come to me, Lord, your salvation as you promised. Then I can answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take the word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver Pieces. Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. Verses 109 through 112. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. Make my steps steady through your promise. Don't let any sin dominate. Redeem me from human oppression and I will keep your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. These are the last three verses of it. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live, and I will praise you. May your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I do not forget your commands. 
Just a sampling of 176 verses, but a theme that runs through all of them is the importance of, the beauty of, the delight we find in the law of the Lord, the scripture that we have been given. One scholar, Alan Ross, summarized this entire chapter, and it's interesting because normally when you read something like this, it's very short. But this is his summary of this passage. It says, the writer finding himself in persecution from powerful people who ridicule his faith in an effort to shame him into abandoning it, the psalmist strengthens himself by detailed meditations on the word of the Lord, which is his comfort, his prized possession, his rule of life, his resource for strength, and his message of hope, all of which inspire him to desire it even more, to live by it, and to pray for its fulfillment. Now, we're going to leave that up just for a second because here's what I want to say. We are not the first generation of people who have been ridiculed for believing the Bible to be true. I know sometimes it's easy and fun to act like nobody's ever experienced what we're experiencing. Nobody's ever had it as bad as we've had it. Nobody's ever been ridiculed like we've been ridiculed. But the psalmist here, whether it is post-exilic Ezra, whether it is King David, whoever it is, is finding themselves in a place of struggle and persecution. And one of the accusations being railed against them is you can't possibly believe what is written in that book. You can't possibly believe that God's going to show up. You can't possibly believe that you can live exactly like that says. You can't possibly believe that that's the only way to live. And yet, what we see in this particular passage of Scripture is, in Psalm 119, is that the psalmist says, I have no hope other than the revelation of God which has been given to me. Because if I lose it, I lose Him. And if I lose Him, I can't live. That he has a relationship with the Lord that is based on an understanding of his word. And that is what sustains him. And no matter how crazy the world tells him he is for believing it, he steadfastly holds true to it because it is the truth of God. There are three things that we see in this passage that I just want to talk about briefly on each. I know it's holiday weekend and some of you got barbecue plans. I want to spend just a minute talking about three specific things. And the first is this, is the Bible is the revelation from God. It is God's revelation. Let me show you some interesting things here. It uses all kinds of words to describe um, what this is that we have in our hand, the revelation of God. It uses testimonies, statutes, law, precepts, rules, commandments. And the one that it uses the most often is word from God or God's word. Here's what's interesting about all of those. They use different ones. They give us different aspects, different aspects of what God's revelation is to us, what God has given to us. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But they all have one thing in common. One thing that holds them all together. I want you to see this in verses 9, in the second stanza, the bet stanza. And it's... I just want you to notice the thing that repeats. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. He goes on in the next part to say. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. 
I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and I think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Do you find a common theme there? I, made, I highlighted it to make it easy, right? It's like the giving you the answers to the test before asking the questions. This is God's word. It is from God. It is inspired by God. It is inspired word of God. Now that word inspired literally means in the language of both Hebrew and Greek, the words that are used for it means to breathe into. And when it says in the New Testament that the God has given us these words from his inspiration, it literally means that he has breathed these words into existence. Now, we know that he used human authors to do that, and each human author wrote with their own personality. And people say, well, how can it be that a a godly book was written by human individuals? And um, I don't have fully the answer to all of that. First of all, I know it is true because Scripture teaches it's true, and because Jesus believed it and taught it as true. But what I can understand is that God used the personalities in its infinite sovereignty and wisdom of the men that wrote the books of the Bible in order... Order to inspire them to write exactly what they needed to write, because God's word is complete. It is it is all that we need in that for living. It is God breathed. It's His revelation. Here's the reality: if God didn't want us to know anything about Him, we would know nothing about Him. Any of you as a child ever try to hide something from your parents? Anybody ever do that? If your parents are sitting next to you, you don't have to admit it, but just nod internally for me, all right? Anybody ever try to hide something from your parents and they found out? A little more rumbling on that one, Mia. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when I was younger, I was playing soccer in my bedroom. Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? And on the, I didn't, I'd never played soccer in my life. I just thought, let's give it a try in my bedroom. And I kicked the ball as well as I've ever kicked the ball in my life. And the other four times in my life I played soccer. And it went straight through the window in my room. I thought I'd hide that from my parents. They found out, mainly because they heard the glass shattering and came and asked what I was doing. And as my punishment, put a Christmas album up to cover it until they could get it fixed. It was July or August. So everybody that drove by saw my Christmas album out in display. Sometimes there are things that we don't want our significant others or our parents or children or friends to find out about us. And they can find it out. If God doesn't want us to know something about him, we can't find it out. And so everything we know about God, every bit of information we know about God that is true, he has to unveil for us. The word for that in scripture is reveal, revelation. He has to unveil it for us. Now there are certain things about God which he gives just kind of a world knowledge of by looking at 
the night sky and as it is lit up in all of its glory or a sunset that is happening. Last week we were at the ball game. The sunset was unbelievable. You see things like that and you go, man, there's got to be something more to this. Uh, scripture talks about creating eternity in our hearts. That God in some ways, we call general revelation, the beauty of the earth, the way that our bodies mark and function. It's just unbelievable, right? I mean, we've had... We've had uh, like three appliances go out in the last year in our house. And those things are made to last for like nine years. You think how amazing it is our bodies are? How God created them intricately and that what He did it. And so there's this biology and all of that is discovering things that make you go, man, there's got to be something more. That's general. But then God wanted us to know specifically about Him. And the only way that He could do it, specific information about Him, is to reveal through human authors what He is and what He is not, what He is like and what He wants us to do. And what we have in Scripture, Psalm 119 claims, along with other patches of Scripture, is revelation from God, about God. In fact, the Bible is not primarily a book of heroes to emulate or a book of rules to follow or not practical advice for daily living. It is primarily a book about God and His deeds and what He desires for us to do as a result of who He is. And what Psalm 119 tells us is that when we're living our lives, when we're looking for truth and we're looking for how we should live, the Bible is enough. It is sufficient. It is everything we need for the knowledge of salvation and of godly living. It is where we hear the voice of God. It is clear. Now, let's be honest. There are certain passages that are clearer than other passages, but it is clear in its entirety of who God is, what his purpose is, what is important to him. It is a final revelation. Scripture says that through Jesus, he has given us the final revelation. And what we have written for that is what tells us about the revelation of that of God. And it is necessary for us to understand salvation and life. We must build our lives on the foundation of God's Word. It is true and right and good and enough and clear and final and necessary. First thing that we see in this passage is that the Bible is God's revelation. The second thing we see is the Bible is a life-giving law. One of the key phrases throughout this passage or key understandings throughout this passage is that the Bible brings delight to the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 119 verses 1 and 2, we we looked at those earlier. How happy are those who ways are blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. How happy they are. How joyful they are. It is a deep, durable delight in God. And what we see in that is that we find out who He is and that delight comes from Him. It is life-giving. The word law is used throughout this and the word that is used for that throughout this is a straight edge, a measuring stick, an understanding of where we stand, a guide. C.S. Lewis said that what it teaches us in Psalm 119 is that it is like we are lost in the wilderness and God provides a way out. And that is our God. 
It is life-giving. Several times he compares this in this passage to uh, something like a starving man finding food. Someone that has been seeking and searching and looking for something to sustain him and to nourish him. And he finds food, and it's not just any food. It is good for him and good tasting food. Several times the writer, the psalmist, will say that it is the instruction of the Lord that gives him hope in the darkness. Probably the most famous verse from all of this chapter is Psalm 119.105 that says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. If you've ever walked in complete darkness and needed a light, you know how beneficial that is. I am thankful that we are past the Lego all over the place years in my family's life. Because the number of times that I would step on a Lego while walking in dark in the night were numerous and the pain was incalculable. If you do not understand that, you have never stepped on a Lego unaware. A few times in this passage that following up Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Verse 107 says, I am afflicted. Lord, give me life according to your word. That it is your word that brings me life. Even in danger, I will not forget your instruction. What the psalmist says is not only is this God's revelation to us about him, from him, it's also a guide on how to live a life that is full. So what does that mean, we with it? We do what the psalmist describes in these passages. We devour his word. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping your word? I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He asked to allow the Lord to turn towards his decrees, to not find it in any other place, but to live it. It is better than silver and gold. It is sweeter than honey. I read this week about the discipleship deficiency in the modern American church. People that aren't living according to God's word and have allowed themselves to be caught upon the winds of cultural, political, personal battles instead of following the word of God. As I read through that, they gave all kinds of symptoms and all kinds of reasons. Then you got to the end and one guy basically said, it basically comes down to this. We no longer value, study, or learn the Word of God. Because when that is the foundation upon which we live, everything else flows out of it. We are people that have sustained ourselves on hostess cupcakes and Twinkies. When the sustaining 
good food of the Word of God is available to us. There's a show on uh, Disney Plus recently where the husband sneaks out at night to get him a hostess fruitcake. Fruit pie. I don't know if y'all have ever eaten those. But as he gave it to him, he said, don't tell my wife. I know I shouldn't eat it, but there is something amazing about the syntheticness of it. I think that describes the diet of our soul for many of us. We're eating synthetic things that are not nourishing and abandoning the Word of God. So what do we do? How do we devour it? Well, we do what he talks about in here. We read it. That's the first step. Find a time to read. I mean, have you started a journey with us this year to read through the Bible in a year? I don't know where you are on that journey. I don't know if you gave up when you hit Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy or if you're still pushing through. If you made it through that, Isaiah and Jeremiah are real tests. Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you were on that plan and you gave it up in March, it's just start where we are right now. In fact, this is a really great day to start. You know why? Because in the plan we were reading, it was a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament. We're about to finish the history books. A little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament. And then it was Psalms and Proverbs. And today is the day when you read through the Psalms, you read through them twice in a year. Yesterday was 150. Today starts Psalm 1 again. And you can start on that path. Here's what I don't know if you realize or not. Yesterday marks the halfway point of the year officially. We're on the second half of the year now. So start today. Read a little bit. You don't have to read all that if you like. I can't read 15 minutes a day. Read one of those. Read the New Testament passage every day that's in there. Read the Psalm every day that's in there. But just read it. Memorize it. Start to find places to memorize and to be able to quote back. Now, it's it's not for Bible drill purposes. It's not so that you can stand up in front of other people and go, let me tell you how much I memorized of this. It is so that when you are tempted or tested like Jesus was, Scripture is what naturally flows out of your mind and not a synthetic diet of cultural propaganda. Meditate on it. Think about it. Dwell on it. Let it stir in your soul. Obey it. God's word is not useful in your life if you ignore it in your daily actions. Even the hard parts. Even the parts that contradict what your friend group say. Even the parts that contradict what your political party say. Even the parts that contradict what your culture says. Live it. Obey it. Because every point at which you decide not to live or obey the word of God means you are giving something else higher authority in your life. Devouring means to ingest and to make it part of who you are. We've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. And that is true physically and it is also true and even more so at times spiritually. When I, was at the North, when I was at the Southern Baptist Convention a few weeks ago, um, at the North American Mission Board, a luncheon that they always do, they had comedian Tim Hawkins come. Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian. He's, you can go search him on YouTube and 
they just said, it's been a hard year, a couple of years. Many of you have thought about quitting. Here's a comedian. And there's one part of his act that's been in his act for years about how crazy some of our prayers are at dinner time. Because I don't know about you, but this has been a part of my prayer life since I was born, which, because I heard my grandfather doing it, now bless this food to the nourishment of my body. And he says, sometimes we're sitting there thinking about the Cheetos we're about to eat. And we are blessed this Cheeto. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it. Change the atomic structure as it goes down into a carrot. And put a hedge of protection around my pancreas. There are some of us that are ingesting all kinds of the culture and the system in which we live. And we're not ingesting any Bible and we're asking God to bless what we're eating. And we need to substitute it with His Word. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Obey it. Live it. What's the point of it all? The point of it all is not to understand more words. The point of it all is not to understand the, the intricacies of it. I mean, literally, Psalm 119 is a grammar nerd's treasure trove. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is not to diagram all the sentences and to find every little piece there, to know every tidbit of it. The purpose of God's Word is simply this, to know God and His ways and His plan and how to live it out in your life. It is first of all to acknowledge who God is and understand Him and then ask how to live that out. And here's what I'll say. God's Word is perfect. It is right. It is good. It is enough. How we interpret it is where we have to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret it for us in order to live it out in our daily lives. And when we do that, we bring glory to the name of God and His kingdom will spread as the principles He espouses are lived. And that's my prayer for us as a church. My prayer is that we would be a people that read and meditate and memorize and obey and live out the Word of God because it tells us everything about Him and His plan. And it is law that gives life. And I desire to be a part of a church that does that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word and for who you are, for what you've given us, for the fact that you have revealed to us your character and your ways. Lord, I pray that you would, in this day, help us, Lord, to understand it more. I pray, Lord, if there are people here this week that have not been reading it, that have not been a part of your word, Lord, that you would... You would just give them an opportunity that you would remind them tomorrow to, to read it. And Lord, that they would, they would do that and they would begin to live in it, to meditate on it. Lord, I pray that we would become like the psalmist in saying that your law is better than life itself. That your law is better than hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars. Without it, we are hopeless. Lord, I pray that we would become people of the Word. Not just because we know what it says, but because we understand what it means and we live 
for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.